Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 is where we're going to turn for just a brief look, but then we're going to launch all over the rest of the scriptures looking at a variety of different elements on the topic or the theme of repentance, repentance. And you think, what, what, what's in your, what are you doing? Well, you remember we studied Colossians. Colossians led into our study of Philemon because Philemon was a man in Colossae who was uh, had an issue with a slave and we read about we studied all that in Philemon one of the things that is not mentioned one word that is not mentioned in the book of Philemon or the letter is this word forgiveness and so we looked at forgiveness as a broad theme of what is forgiveness and how did Philemon hopefully show that to to his slave Onesimus and how do we show forgiveness one to another having been forgiven by God Almighty well, that led into a study in Isaiah chapter 6, which says, well, wait a minute, forgiveness, do we need really forgiveness from God? Well, yes, because Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus high and lifted up and the train of his uh, robe filled the temple and there were seraphim around him saying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord or Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then last week we studied how did Isaiah respond? Well, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, or the King, the Lord of glory. And so we looked at all these things. Well, then we say, well, how did Isaiah respond to these things? He, he had great conviction of his own sin, especially as, a, as it related to his own uh, lips, that functionary device for a prophet. Uh, his lips were defiled because of his actions, and he had issues among the people who had also unclean lips. This idea of penitence or repentance or conviction or contrition of sin is what we want to look at this morning. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 teaches us. We'll, we'll look at this very briefly, but it helps us understand something that uh, maybe is confusing to us. Just a, a phrase that we'll look at in verse 1. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Having so great a cloud of witnesses, what are those cloud of witnesses going on there? Well, we'd have to look back and read Isaiah, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, describing this, these witnesses that are surrounding us and giving us this example, having given us the example of their lives of faith and faithfulness and, and trusting the Lord through good times and bad times. We have this great cloud of witnesses, so what should we do as a result of this? It says, this is a controlling idea here, laying aside laying these things aside. What are we laying aside? The weight, in fact, every weight, it says, every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. To lay aside something is uh, the idea of, um, actually, it's several ideas. In Scripture, we can see the idea of imprisoning. Remember when Herod laid aside or put away John in prison? This is Matthew 14, and verse 3. It's that same idea, laying aside or putting away. It's not something that... that uh, um, John was, in fact, he never got out of that jail alive, and yet it was something that, it was a permanent setting aside, laying aside of that of that person. We see this in relation to other issues of putting men in prison back in the Old Testament as well. So that is one aspect, one way that this word is used, but we see it also laying aside garments. Uh, remember when the people that were stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr, to death, they laid aside or put aside their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, Acts 7, verse 58. So they were laying aside those things, and in that situation, of course, they intended to take them back up, but they put them away for a particular purpose. 
It was nasty. It was wicked. It was uh, rebellious against the Lord and against his anointed. And yet uh, it shows us what what were they doing and how were they doing them. There are other issues of of things being laid aside. But in this context, laying aside every weight and and the sin which so easily entangles us doesn't have be nice if you could take off a garment and put it aside. And I just took off the weight and the easily uh, entangling sin. Oh, if it were that easy. Well, it's not always that easy, but it is required, and it is something that should characterize Christian uh, life, that we would be laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. There are many other figurative or metaphorical uses of this uh, phrase. You can write down a couple of references if you wanted to. Romans 13 and verse 12 says, the night is almost gone, the day is at hand, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You can see a little bit later, verse 14, it says, put on, you've, you've taken off, right? Put off that stuff, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to his lusts. Ephesians 4:22 and 25 say, laying aside these things, the old man, the things that characterized our, our depravity, lay those things aside and specifically lay aside falsehood in verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Colossians 3, we studied this back when we were studying through Colossians and verse 8 says, lay you now you also lay them all aside. What things do we lay aside? Wrath, anger, malice, slander, abuse of speech from your mouth. Put these all, the, all these things aside. James one twenty one also says, laying aside all filthiness, which is, well, you're, you're saving that for later, right? That filthiness, we're going to enjoy that. No, lay it aside, don't return to it. Lay aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In gentleness, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And one final one, First Peter chapter 2 and verses um, 1 through 3, talk about laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and so forth, longing for the pure milk of the word. So laying aside is a key issue for uh, a command even for us in the scripture, throughout the scripture. Here it says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The idea, the imagery that this author has is a a race, an athletic competition, where in that first century world, most of the athletes, if not all, would would be entirely unhindered, which is to say they participated in the nude, au naturel, and they laid aside every weight. They didn't carry a backpack. They didn't carry extra water. They didn't carry any clothing at all. I mean, that kind of, I mean, they were serious about running this race. And he says, do you have that same effort. You you apply that same endeavor to run a race that is set before us all. Will you do it? But why are you carrying this big baggage along with you? You remember, of course, John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, how Christian, or Pilgrim, when he first came out of the City of Destruction, how he was carrying a big pack on his back, and he couldn't get it off. There was no way he could get it off, but it was a burden to him. And he's going through the the uh, all these different scenarios that he's going through until he came to Calvary, right? And that is where that burden was lifted off. Did he go down and, and try to rescue that thing, he got kind of accustomed to that thing. It's kind of like you've heard with children. It's kind of messy, nasty. You know, they have a messy diaper. I mean, one of the one of the, the messy diapers, and they say, you know, I know it stinks, but it's mine and it's warm. What? No, get that thing off your bottom. That's disgusting. And yet, isn't that what we do with sin so much? I know, but I know it's disgusting, but it's mine and it's warm. No, that's just, that's, no, let's not do that. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside the weights. These are weights upon us. These are uh, things that so easily entangle us. 
lay these things aside. A weight is an impediment. It's, it's something that's extra bulk. It's, it's baggage that you don't need. It, and it causes or it obstructs your progress. It hinders you in the race. It is a stumbling block. What are we supposed to do with them? Just carry one at a time? You, you pick your top five and you carry those with you? Lay them aside. Every weight that is available or part and parcel of our lives. But this is the phrase I want to look at. You've said you've looked at a lot of phrases already. The sin which so easily, here it says, entangles us. If you have the uh, King James Version, the Authorized Standard Version, uh, those two have the sin which doth so easily beset us. Another translation says the sin that so easily distracts us. Here, this translation says entangles. The difficulty we have with this word in particular is that it's only used here. And all the New Testament is not used in the Old Testament at all. So what do you mean by this, uh, this phrase or this word even? The sin which so easily entangles us. It is similar to, and it has some similar uh, words in it, that this, this phrase backing up at the beginning of the verse, the witnesses surrounding us. It's this idea of, of a surrounding issue because we have these witnesses surrounding us, how are we to live? But also you have these this specific sin that surrounds you that even, I mean, truly, maybe some of our confusion is when we hear the word beset, we think, oh, that's, that's something that's a habitual, normal, customary thing. I can't get rid of it. It's, it's just my thorn in the flesh, which is also a misuse of that phrase in 2 Corinthians 12. It's not, it's not a sin. It is a message of Satan to keep Paul from exalting himself because of the glory of the visions he said. It's not, I have this thorn in my flesh. It's my, my special sin, my dirty diaper, if you don't mind the, 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 uh, going back to that metaphor, that illustration, is something that we, we can't get rid of. It's just something that is part of our lives. That's not what besetting means. Besetting means, and it's used in a military strategy, beset means to lay siege around. It means to surround in that kind of a way. It is also used to describe a, a crown, you know, a physical crown that is beset with, uh, um, stones or ornaments or these kinds of things. It is, is something that surrounds. Uh, it can have the idea of harassing or troubling uh, somebody. Uh, it means even to set upon. Uh, Psalm 89 verse 40 says, you've broken down his walls, you have beset his strongholds with ruin. So there's that kind of a destruction, a destructing influence upon the walls there. Uh, Hebrews 5 and verse 12 talks about uh, the high priest himself is beset with weakness. He is, it's not the same word that we see here, entangling or beset. It's a different, uh, a different root. Part of the root, root is Part of the root is different, but it has that same idea of surrounding it. It's, it's something that af affects us all. And it's something that it says here, lay that aside. Put that away. Don't, don't, you know, keep it in your back pocket or, or keep it near to you. Lay that stuff aside. The idea is that it is easily entangling us. Part of the, this word has this, this, um, the prefix, which means good or beneficial, but it's not beneficial, right? This is sin. There's no way in which sin is beneficial. And yet it probably has the idea that it is easily or smoothly um, capable in our lives or influential in our lives. The point is, though, lay that aside. Doesn't mean that you can, you can, well, you know, it's my excuse, it's my besetting sin of anger or lashing out or my besetting sin of lust or my besetting sin of, of uh, doubt or, or fearfulness. Lay that aside is what he's saying here. And those other verses we looked at in, in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians, lay that stuff aside once and for all. Don't be, don't think that somehow this, this is a sin that is 
going to be with me for the rest of my life, that I'll never have victory over this, this issue. You know, the scripture says in Galatians 6 and verse 1, that there are those who are caught in any trespass. And we can look at that verse, I suppose we have uh, on other occasions, but there are three instances in which you could consider being caught. And one way is being surprised by the sin. One, I mean, you didn't mean to do it. You just kind of happened. And here, you know, Shazam, here it happened. You might think of this in terms of um, Cain and Abel. Cain, back in Genesis 4, uh, God warned him, you're, you're walking into a trap, be careful. Sin desires to master you, but you must master it. Or sin desires you, but you must master it, Genesis 4. So he knew, and yet he went in and killed his brother and so forth. Proverbs 7, and you think, is he really walking in there accidentally? Did he not know what was going on? Excuse me, read about this guy who's just clueless, and he's going in at, at the wrong time of night in the wrong part of town, and he's doing it with the wrong attitude and all, not his, his guards up. Proverbs 7, okay, maybe there can be this idea of being surprised or overtaken in that fault. Other ways it can be idea, the idea is to be trapped in it. When you get your foot caught in a bear trap, ouch, that hurts. And yet, and you think, I can't get out of here alone. I can't, there's no way out. I don't see any path forward. That can be a part of this idea of, of being caught in a trespass. A third idea is to be discovered in it, to be found out. Uh, somebody walked in and, and discovered this, or, or or somebody read my text messages, or or whatever. Or in the case of Joshua chapter seven, remember Achan, Achan sin, and how that was found out. It was discovered. I thought it was in secret. I took this, I took that, I put it in the middle of my tent, other under some some uh, dirt, and I thought everybody, nobody knew about it. They lost. The whole nation lost a battle because of Achan's sin. John 8 and verse 4, of course, the woman caught in adultery, caught in adultery. Where's the guy again? Where's the whole thing? It's just the woman they were interested in to, to condemn her before God. The point, though, is if you are caught in a trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you to be tempted. What's the, what's the goal? Leave him there. Just try to make him comfortable, right? Just, you know, give some, some uh, end-of-life kind of care. I'm sorry you're trapped. I'm sorry. There's really no hope. Are you kidding me? There is hope. Restore these people. Help them to lay aside these burdens, lay aside these weights of sin, which is, is entangling. It's, it's surrounding them. It's got them hogtied. They're on the floor. They are a mess. They need help. And one of those things that they need to realize is that there is help. There is hope in Christ. There is victory. There can be a pattern of life. Will we ever be perfect in this world? No, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but there can be progress. That's why we talk about progressive sanctification. There is a sanctification in which, having been justified by faith, we are set apart. We are holy unto God. We are saints. And yet there's a point at which my life does not line up with who I am in Christ. Well, there's an answer to that. Repent, right? Repent. Get your life back in line with who you are in Christ. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, my paraphrase of that is, let your daily practice match with your eternal position in Christ. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called is the, is the phrase that is there. But there can be victory over, the, over these sins. And it's even commanded. It's not like, oh, that's an optional thing for those really mature Christians. Are you kidding? No. Romans 6 and verse 12, which, by the way, was one of the first major in-depth Bible studies I ever did as a young person, uh, Romans 6 and verse 12 in a sermon series called Freedom from Sin. It is possible, again, not perfection, 
but progress and, and victory. It says here, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members as to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, when I say we will never be perfect in this life, I mean in a, in a, in a fully comprehensive, exhaustive, fully every element of our life completely given over to Christ. Does that mean there's no hope for me with this particular sin, the sin that has entangled me, hogtied me, and left me sitting on the floor bruised and bloodied and, and, uh, and disheveled? Is there a repentance for that? Do you know, repentance, when we turn from something, we have turned our back on it. We don't want to turn back to it. We've turned to God. But then having come now closer to God, then we realize, oh, there's this issue over here now I need to deal with. And having dealt with that issue, oh, there's this issue over here. The depravity of our hearts, of our lives, shows us that there is no limit to the wickedness that is in us. Having dealt with anger, well, now we have to deal with with a lack of patience, perhaps. And now having dealt with patience, lack of patience, now we're, now we're patient persons, but then we have to deal with this, this boy, covetousness over here of this issue. It's not that we continually struggle with the the uh, anger or the lying or the deceptionness or the, the deceptiveness or the covetousness. We're dealing with these different issues, always with the goal of being more, more, more like Jesus. Perfection comes at death when we are in the presence of the Lord and we have that great uh, opportunity to say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for delivering from me from my sin, from the mastery of sin. You have taught me I present myself as a servant to you, a slave unto righteousness, no longer unrighteousness. There is a pattern of growth. Are there setbacks and are there uh, failures along the way? Unfortunately, yes, and yet they should be smaller and smaller and smaller, not because we're so strong in our own selves, because we have been made to love the Lord so completely, so delightedly, so devotedly that, how does the song go? The things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But are, are we, is our focus more on Christ, as it says here, I didn't put the second verse here, looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12 and verse 2, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, you can read verse 2, but looking unto Jesus. When we are looking, as Peter did, remember Peter on the, on the stormy sea of Galilee, and he said, hey, Jesus, if, if it's you, Asked me to come out to you. And he walked out there, having his gaze set on Jesus, he was fine. But when his gaze got off and then set on the waves and the wind around him, what happened? He was taken up to glory. No, he was going down to the depths because his eyes were off of Jesus. You fix your eyes, Hebrews 12 and verse 2, fix your eyes on Jesus. But the more we fix our eyes on you know, that's kind of shiny over there. That's kind of neat. That's kind of neat. I, you know, I like how people respond when I am kind of all up in there, you know, fluffy, feather, puffy, whatever the roosters do. You know, they get out there and they strut their stuff. People kind of take notice and they give me what I want. You're setting your, your heart, your devotion on that? That's so foolish. That is, that is deceptive. It is not godly. And you think that's somehow that you can grow and be more influential in your life? No. We want to lay these things aside. And there is hope of all these things to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We see that our perfection comes in that future day. 
couple ideas from Philippians chapter 1. And we'll actually look at repentance for a few minutes here. Philippians 1 and verse 6, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. He will perfect it until. That means when Christ Jesus comes, he's going to give up the rest of the process. No, he's going to perfect it until Christ comes and we will be like him. We'll see him like he is. We will be glorified. That's, the, that's perfection, right? Glorification. Rehearsing some theological words, justification means to be declared right before God, forgiven of our sin. Sanctification means that we have been positionally placed into Christ. We are holy, but also there's this progressive aspect where we're growing to be more like Jesus. The future idea is glorification, when even our whole bodies will be glorified, no longer carrying around, as Romans 7 describes, this body of sin. Lord, who will deliver me from the body of sin? God does in that future day when he... He makes, he glorifies us. Later in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, and Philippians is is contemporary to Colossians. It's written about 61, 62, uh, just a few years before Paul dies. And he says, verse 12, Philippians 3, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. He's talking about righteousness, perfection in Christ. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also I was laid hold of by Christ. I don't consider myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do forgetting what lies behind. And even in that context, in that Philippians 3, he's not talking about bad things, you know, forgetting all the sins and wickedness. He's, he talked, he listed, remember, all of his credentials, all of his positives, his pluses, his assets, you know, self-righteously speaking. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews and, and circumcised and law and Pharisee and persecuted of the church. All those things which I thought were benefits to me, I forget them forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And not just in a passive kind of a sense, reaching like this, but reaching, wanting, striving for it, pressing forward. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, and he's kind of playing on words here, not perfect already, but perfect in the sense of mature, having um, mature adult type of appetites, not longing for milk, right? That's for babies, but longing for the the, the sound uh, scripture, sound uh, food that God provides. Uh, those who are perfect think this way. And if anything you think differently, God will reveal it to you. He'll, he'll get you straightened out. There is in that little, later in that Philippians chapter three, he talks about our glorification, verses 20 and 21. I'll have to let you read that about future glorification, future perfection, and how that is so important. Again, the idea from Hebrews 12 and verse 1, lay those things aside. Don't keep uh, uh, keep those things close to you. Put them aside. Don't return to the begin. And as you progress and mature in the faith, you'll find more things in your life that need to be dealt with, not cared for. Now, I, I have this issue I need to do, work with, but I, I can never have victory over that. So now I've got, a, I've got that thing. I'm working on this thing over here and this thing over here. And I'm just a mess and there's no hope. And, you know, God, what am I going to do? Laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This idea of repentance, Luther's 95 Theses, over 500 years ago now, 505 years ago, he presented these and had wanted to engage in a conversation. Do you realize 95 Theses are all about repentance? They're all about penance in that Roman Catholic system. And he says, we have a wrong understanding of repentance. Just reviewing the, I'm not going to review 95 of them, just the first three. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed, he commanded the entire life of believers to be one of repentance, not repenting for the same sin over and over and over. 
repenting of that sin, repenting of this sin, repenting of that sin. Just we need always to reorient ourselves, turning from sin, turning to God, turning from sin, turning to God, turning from sin, turning to God. Not the same sin. We need to have victory over these things. But he says repentance ought to characterize our lives. He says it's not what we think in terms of penance, this, this external sacrament of penance, this confession, satisfaction administered by the clergy. Rather, or... or, or so it's not something purely external, but he says it's not something purely internal. It does not mean solely inner repentance. Such inner repentance is worthless unless it produces various outward mortifications of the flesh. He used a lot of big words there. He is saying that repentance is not something that's just visible outside. You do certain things and you, you show your repentance. And neither is it something that's entirely internal that we don't know. We can't ever know if they've really repented because, you know, who knows the heart of man. There's that combination. It is proven in these, how do you say, uh, various outward mortifications or putting to death the deeds of the flesh and making yourself or, or not making yourself practicing this life that we have in Christ. We have been made alive with uh, with Christ. You realize repentance is necessary for justification. We've talked about that. To be reconciled to God, forgiven, to receive God's mercy. It is necessary for sanctification, progressively laying aside the every weight and, every, and the sin which so easily entangles us. It, it is necessary. We need to repent constantly over these things. Turn from sin. Turn to God. And it is useful, necessary even for reconciliation. Why? Well, you remember uh, Luke 17, verse 3, that says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins against you, or sins, rebuke him. And if, if he repents, forgive him. There's this idea of when offenses happen in our lives, and of course, first two verses talk about in Luke 17. It's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom they come. This is also in Matthew, 15, Matthew 18. There are going to be problems. We're going to have issues in this world. A nice new marriage, uh, an older uh, uh, established couple. Conflicts, always conflicts. Why? Because you have two sinners sharing the same spaces, sharing the same routine, sharing the, the, the same life together. There are going to be issues. There are going to be issues in the church, issues in the workplaces, issues in the streets and, and whatever. How can we keep these relationships growing and honoring Christ? Repentance, confession, forgiveness, reconciliation. It is so necessary for all of life, life before God and life before other people. Well, what is repentance? There are many aspects of it. Oh, yeah, I'd like to talk about that, but I can't do it. I can't do it today. Uh, what is repentance? Repentance is a gift of God. We read it in Romans 2 and verse 4. The kindness of God, forbearance, patience of God leads us to repentance. He's the one who grants that to us. He's the one who teaches us, brings that conviction of sin, the contrition that is so necessary. That It starts with understanding or appreciating, recognizing certain truths about God, that he is holy, right? Isaiah 6 and verse 3. It identifies sin is wickedness. It is lawlessness. It's rebellion against God who's good, who's holy, who's righteous. And sin is is turning away from that to, to my own ideas, my own devices. It realizes that sin is not just something out there that other people do. It's something that I do, something that is going on in my life that I need to lay aside that thing. I need to no longer present my body as a servant of sin or unrighteousness, but to God as a servant of righteousness. It is something that is commanded. It's not like, oh, repentance is for more mature Christians. You can be saved by just believing in Jesus as Savior, right? No. In fact, that's the thing I wanted to go over, but I won't. There are scriptures that talk about believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. There are scriptures that talk about repent 
and be, and for the kingdom of God is a heaven at, at hand rather. And there are scriptures that talk about repent and and believe. So there, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. If you don't mind me saying it that way, and it's not that, that somehow later we we can trust Jesus as Savior now, and then later in our Christian life we can make Him Lord. No. You identify, you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Now you repent from your sin. You turn to him. You obey him. You love him. You want to do things that please him. It's not an optional uh, graduate level Christianity, right? This This is basic Christianity. Repent and believe the gospel. Teaching is part of repentance, realizing what is right and how am I not right. But it realizes then, whoa, conviction. I got a problem. If this is the way it is, if this is who God is, then ugh. I am undone, as Isaiah said, right? There is a conviction that I have sinned, not just that sin exists somewhere, but it exists in me. And I am worthy of God's judgment, his divine wrath upon my own sin. I appreciate this is a this is a tight spot. This is a difficult situation. I, I have guilt. I have shame. I'm alarmed over these things, which is going back to John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. He was the only guy in all of his family or in his in his neighborhood was concerned that God's judgment was coming upon the city of destruction. Whoa, whoa. And he, what was he after? Life, life, eternal life. He must have that. He had that conviction of his sin. Having a conviction of sin, knowing that you're a sinner, isn't just enough. You think, well, good grief. How much more things are you going to add to this? Are you contrite? Are you sorry for your sin? Do you, you realize you're under the penalty of sin, but are you troubled by that? Do you want to Maybe alleviate that. Do you want to remove it? Do you have a sense of regret or grief over this? Do you have a repugnance now, knowing that you're you're guilty? Will you go out and sin some more? No, you don't want to do that. You are contrite over these things. You're broken. You have a bitterness, not toward God for revealing your sin, but a bitterness toward yourself that you would be so captivated to, and captured, cap- captive to things that are wicked and disobedient to God, things that God rightly judges and removes from his presence under the extreme wrath of him, of a holy God. We have sorrow at offending God. We have sorrow at offending others. It's not just a sorrow that, oh, I'm sorry that I got found out. I'm mean, I having a good time over here, and you just walked in, and now I'm sorry that you found me in this compromising situation. No, it is a sorrow that I have this sin in my life, not that other people know about it so much, God knows about it, and he wants me to to be contrite, to be broken over it. We ought to confess our sins. If we know what is good, we realize we're not good, and we're sorry about that, and we talk about it to other people, now it's time to change our lives. Correction. We often think of repentance just in that way, but it contains, contains rather all these different aspects. This correction of changing our thinking, changing our behavior, changing our words. Do you remember the verse, uh, Ephesians 4.29, that says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. What does it say? Did it say, be careful, you know, try to get five out of eight wholesome words in your life. And those other three out of eight, eh, work on those. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But I, that's my besetting sin. I just, my, my words are just eh, disgusting. No, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Do not do these things. Do not let the sun go down your anger. Well, you know, we had this thing and we'll get to it tomorrow. Do not do that. It, it, it's not, Don't if you don't mind, Rocket surgery, you know, brain surgery and rocket science, it's not that difficult, really. Don't do these things. Are you obedient to the Lord or are you not? Can you correct your thinking and behavior? Do you change your desires before God? Now I want to please God. I realize 
I was living a selfish life. I was all about myself, self-trust, self-depending on me, uh, and for, I'll take care of it. I'll do this by my own big self. No, you cast your cares upon God. He will help you. He will give you the changed heart as you meditate upon his word. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and excellent and perfect. There is hope for real and lasting change, not just the temporary change of, I mean, you've, you've heard it compared to uh, some measures of sanctification. Progressive sanctification is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic as it's going down. You're doing nothing. You, it looks like you're really busy. Oh, congratulations. You look busy, but you're doing nothing. The issue is not what's going on on the deck. The issue is there's a hole in the hole and you're going down. What are you going to do to solve this heart issue? And first of all, you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You lean on him. You, you repent of your sins. You trust in Christ for justification. But then you lay aside, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. There is that hope of real and lasting change and growth, giving up, renouncing sin, abandoning sin, leaving it alone. Don't, I don't want that in my life anymore. That means we're looking for what are those situations in life? Could be people, could be times of the day, could be uh, states of mind that we're more susceptible to a, a sin that takes us in the wrong direction. And so we need to be on our guard. We need to be watching and, and, and uh, being alert, right? It's not just our flesh that battles against us. Satan loves to, I mean, he's prowling around the earth seeking whom he may devour. And you think, well, he's not looking for me. Are you kidding me? If you have any aff affection or affiliation with Christ— He's looking for you to destroy you, take you out of the picture. And think, I'm, who am I in God's great economy? You are a saint if you're in Christ, and that's good enough to have Satan's hatred. He hates you. He wants to destroy you, everything dear to you. And you think, oh, that's just in the movies, right? When you hear, I, don't, I can't get to you, but I can get to you people you love. Satan will do that if you give him one little foothold, any situation in your life that you're not dealing with before God. Repentance is a turning from sin, turning back to God, forsaking these things, identifying things that are, are troublesome, entangling, they're, they're weighting us down, things that we need to get rid of. Repentance is a turning to God. It's a call to holiness. It's centering our lives upon Him. It is not so much something that is, well, as Luther said, it's not just external, it's not just internal, it's the combination, mortification of the flesh. It is something that is, uh, in, well, you can say it this way, it's an, it's an internal reality that is displayed outwardly. Sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, prone to tears, or I'm not an emotional person. Well, that's fine. There are times when... when um, Great emotion is displayed in terms of, of repentance, but also there's great emotion displayed with a false repentance. So emotion or the display of emotions can be deceiving or, or it's really a side issue. It's not about the emotions. It's about what's going on in your heart, not just the, the lovey-dovey kind of stuff, but the, the purpose, the resolve, the valuation, the, the words then that come out of your mouth. Do you cry out, I am bankrupt I've got nothing. I cannot do this by myself. I cannot pay this debt back. Remember Matthew 18, the, the two servants that owed a little bit of money and a lot of money. And the guy said, I'll repay everything. You are bankrupt. There's no way you can pay that back. Will you turn to Christ or will you be your own priest? You think, you know, I, give me some time. I'll get my act cleaned up. I'll do this. It'll be fine. Turn to Christ. He is the priest. He can change you. 
with your cooperation and so forth, but it's not based on your performance of what you do or don't do. Look to Christ. Your change can be genuine. It can be lasting when it is from the heart level, not just the behavior, not just superficial, not for the purposes of making your spouse happy or the pastor or, you know, whatever, making peace but really dealing with the issue going on here. It is stimulated by an irritation of your own sin. Kind of like if you ever get a pebble in your boot, not just your sandal, but your boot, which is kind of hard to get off. And it irritates me so much, I got to stop. I got to deal with this thing. Versus, ah, why are you so angry I'm walking so slowly? Get over it, my guy. I know I've got a pebble in my boot, but I'm happy with it. It's, it's, I really like a pebble in my boot. Thank you so much. That is just abject foolishness. Get, stop, and get rid of the pebble. We confess our sin. We look to Christ. We acknowledge God is just in his wrath. He is just in his, in his grace also because he he's sent his son to be the savior of the world, sent his son to satisfy the wrath of God. When we have uh, this, this gratitude not for, well, here, we are thankful for being caught in our sin. We're thankful that we've been confronted. Not angry that people would, would challenge us and, and say, well, what, what are you doing over here? How, these words coming out of our mouth or, or these actions, that it, it doesn't make sense. We are thankful, not resentful toward other people, not uh, regretting, oh, I guess I've got to get rid of that sin. Mm, but I really enjoyed it. Oh, if I could just enjoy it one more time. Really? Lay aside these things. Get them out of your life. Admit that you are prone to wander, don't don't say it this way. I don't know where those words came from. I can't believe I just did that. Those, those statements are not indicative of a truly penitent, humble heart. Surprised that you sin? Excuse me? You're surprised that you sin. How about you're surprised that God would still want you in his presence at any point? If you knew you like God knows you, oh, you would respond with Isaiah, woe is me. There is forgiveness with God that you may be feared. Repentance is not just limited to that one issue. It's comprehensive. It, seek, it seeks to expunge and, 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 and get right down to the root of that issue and everything else related to it. Not just, oh, you're challenging me on this issue. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that issue. I'll, I'll correct that. But then you have this whole other realm behind it that they might not know about. But if they're satisfied with me just making a, an effort in this one issue, then maybe I'll get them off my back. That's not a penitent heart. That is proud, arrogant, self-righteous. I'm doing fine. Leave me alone. It's not a Christian response. It is being thankful for confrontations, being thankful for the, the love that is shown as we challenge one another, not for the purpose of, of passing judgment on opinions or, or practices, but challenging one another to walk and, and grow in Christ. And even a truly penitent heart leads to confidence versus the, the, the powerlessness, the hopelessness, the uncertainty. I don't know if I'm ever going to get over this thing or I don't know if God can accept me. A penitent, truly penitent sinner can have confidence in that day of judgment. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, but I still sin. Then what do you do? You repent. You confess that to God. You change your thinking, change your behavior, change your values because God is a redeeming, saving God. He is holy. He is... And he demands holiness. Again, it's not a graduate-level Christianity program. This is basic Christianity. Repent. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your life in us. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit that enables us to do these things, that brings that conviction of sin, that knowledge that we are not right before you in our own flesh, and that we would not any longer present ourselves as slaves to sin, but as slaves of righteousness unto God, fearing you, walking in your truth, 
expunging, you know, laying aside every weight, not just a few weights, but every weight. And that thing that has got us hogtied and on the floor bleeding, sin does not treat us well. It is deceptive, mostly to ourselves, thinking that somehow it would be satisfying. It'll, it'll be all right this time. Thank you for your patience, your kindness that leads us to repentance. Please help us to walk humbly before you with contrition. We don't have it all figured out, but you do. And we trust in your truth, your reality that is so uh, powerful in our lives. Please help us not to be taken in by deception or uh, or the, the wickedness that, that promises all great things that really ends up in destruction and death. Please help us to have hearts wholly, fully devoted unto you. Please help us to grow. We pray that you'd save any here that are not in Christ, aren't trusting in you, haven't found that that quiet, peaceful rest in what Christ has done. He died in my place. So I don't have to be judged for my sin. Christ died for me, and I can be forgiven because of what he's done. Please help those who are in Christ to grow, to lay aside these, these sins, and to grow in Christ, be more mature in him. We thank you for your patience, but we pray that you would come soon and bring that glorification that we long for, that, that glorification not just of ourselves and our loved ones, but of the whole universe to be resurrected as our Lord Christ is. We pray in his name. Amen.